Good afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and via podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Brought to you by our news team, Alexandra Fernandez, Chancellor Miracle, Chris Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, Alex LaRue, and me, Kareem Mosna. The municipal election is less than two weeks away, coming up on Monday, October 24th. And in advance of that, we continue our discussions with the mayoral candidates here on The Scoop. This week, we speak with Tina Frazier. Okay, so Tina, I've had a chance to review your platform, and I understand that you're really pushing for a smart city. Now, for those who might not be familiar with what you're talking about, uh, describe what this smart city would look like. So basically, it's an internal digital infrastructure. So simply, it just means that all of our municipal resources, finance, staffing, and assets would be on a platform, a smart city platform. Now, this this technology is available um, in various countries, but I'm hoping to commission a Kingston team to design and build it. But yeah, so basically an online platform for all municipal services that citizens can interact and engage with through an app. Wow. So really, in a sense, they will, there's a lot more transparency between uh, what's going on in government and the people that getting rid of that divide between, you know, what are they doing behind closed doors, right? Thank you very much. Yes. And not only that, but there's a report that I found. It's on my website. Um, Our system is still from 1999. Oh, wow. 21 years, mate. So, and that's all it is about. Like one of my values is transparency. So you can see exactly where your tax dollars are going. You can see what staff um, are working there. And um, cause that's a big problem uh, in the report is basically not being able to track uh, payroll scheduling. So for 21 years, there's been, <laughs> no accountability. So really it's an accountability tool for the citizen to see where their tax money is going. And it keeps um, money in the city. We can you know, see where it's at exactly going. You talked on your website, just shifting a little bit here about meeting people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find this a, a really, um, in a sense, a really simple concept, but uh, I'd love to hear some examples of, of this. Okay. So Currently, when when you look at the development page here, dash page, development is happening. It is happening centrally downtown. But, it, you know, what's happening is they're developing and that's displacing people. So if we're developing, say, um, for seniors, well, we want to meet them where they're at. So with the smart city technology, we can demographically find out where's the best place to increase senior housing and I'm by senior housing I mean seniors that don't need to go to long-term care but need help to stay home Uh, just like the community living model I work with them and it's a great model so when you meet people where they're at instead of asking them oh well we're going to develop here so we're going to move you here well maybe we'll put one over here it's just simply building around the demographic and that way we create those little communities then we can provide and have the services built around that area so they're not having to take transport and uh, pay for taxis to get to appointments and to get their groceries and things like that. So simply just is smart development and looking at bio data to be able to um, 
put groups together. And I think that's very important. There was an article that stated that I was um, wanting to build smaller, efficient, multi-unit uh, housing. And I, I, that's not what I meant. I don't think it's good to have different types of populations together. Um, I think it's, it's better to have like student housing for students, you know, senior housing for seniors, single housing for single moms or single dads. And um, if you're putting multiple different people in there, then we're putting people at risk that we don't, that we can't really control, right? So meeting people where they're at is, it's not a big change. It's just looking at what we got now and going, okay, when we develop, where is the best place to develop? So people aren't being displaced and having to take expensive transport. And plus with these little communities, we can uh, introduce micro mobility so that they have the ability to go out and get their mail and get their groceries. They're spending more money that helps our economy and we can get out of recession. Excellent. Yeah. And, this, and this would apply to, to other uh, age groups and demographics beyond seniors as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, instead of saying, you know, we need a place for the unhoused or homeless, no, we need places that they can go recover and eventually get into housing. So again, yes, it's um, student housing should be built around the schools and the, I would like dormitory styles, you know, like, um, but yes, so really placing it that each population is in a community. Well, and of course, that all ties in with pretty well the number one issue that that gets the most talk in council which is the housing crisis yes and again with the new smart city system we can start to see where the money's at and reallocate it uh, more properly um you know our, our policing budget is quite high because we do have a high crime rate here because we have six prisons and we have you know people coming in that aren't even actually from kingston but they, they've come in from you know rockville or whatever so really having um, a system there too in place, a municipal system that when people are being uh, let out, they're going into specific rehab, recovery. And not everybody has addiction problems in jail. I'm not saying that. But a lot of people come out, they don't even have a job. They have a criminal record. They're not going to get hired. They can't get welfare because they need a, an address. So what are they going to do? They're going to do what they need to do to get money. Um, maybe not for drugs, but just for eating, for example. So I think really, if, once we get that technology in there and it, it really can sort out the money and we had provincial funding, we have federal funding, we could reallocate that. I understand another uh, one of the priorities you want to bring to the table is uh, reclaiming uh, with regards to uh, our green space. Tell me a bit more about what that would look like. There was a meeting, a planning meeting regarding the tannery property and a man, I can't remember who, who said it, but he mentioned the word, um, the term urban forest. And I Im immediately was just like, yes, like I want Kingston to be the urban forest. And that's basically number one, providing environmental protection, which we have to do through policies. And again, those policies haven't changed since 1999. When we change those environmental policies, uh, we can assure things like MZOs, provincial um, zoning orders, are not coming into our city unless they're needed. Growing up here, you know, there was lots of trees down Division, down um, Montreal Street, Sir John A, but they're all gone. Um, they've been replaced um, with lights and medians, I get that. But I think that's another um, issue that we could tackle very easily is to plant uh, a lot of uh, 
not necessarily trees because it depends on the, the weather too. So shrubbery, anything that's going to provide shade to cool down our, to cool down the earth. Uh, and finally, and perhaps this speaks for itself, but the, the last um, uh, that was uh, really highlighted in your platform was reconciliation. Uh, of course, we just came off the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation just not too long ago. Uh, and of course, lots of, of stories and all of that. What, what as a city would you like to see us do in that regard? Um, we need to start communicating uh, with, with our Indigenous peoples here because what's happening is in a lot of development, if it's a private development, they don't need to um, discuss it with the Indigenous groups. Now, I think that's a policy in place. I'm not sure um, how that came about, but I really, it's a reconnecting and basically giving back some land. So Bell Island is a native burial ground and the park um, was a landfill, but my goal would be to have that as an indigenous rehabilitation center, people that identify as native. Um, if they're coming out of prison, if they're coming from other cities, it would be a place that they could go and um, practice their spiritual practices and cultural practices in peace and giving back uh, some property and having um, open dialogue about when there's, you know, projects happening to make sure that they are included 100%. And regardless, it's a private, a municipal or a provincial development, um, Indigenous um, peoples need to be consulted on that. Excellent. Okay, Tina, well, I thank you very much uh, for taking some time to talk a bit about your platform today. Thank you. Thank you, Kareem. I appreciate the time. That was my conversation with Kingston mayoral candidate Tina Frazier. You're listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and on podcast. Now it's over to Dinah with some campus news. Thank you so much. And now it's time for some campus headlines and events. Today, members of the Queen's Bachelor of Nursing Sciences Class of 2022 will be participating in their pinning ceremony at the Isabel Bader Centre for the Performing Arts. The pinning ceremony is a symbolic welcoming of newly graduated nurses into the nursing profession. Doors open at 5 with a ceremony starting at 6. There was a ceremony to formally install the Honourable Murray Sinclair into the role of the 15th Chancellor of Queen's University, but it has been postponed. The ceremony originally planned for October 11th is now being performed virtually at a later date yet to be determined. Are you a prospective student interested in health sciences? Join the School of Kinesiology and Health Studies on Saturday, October 22nd from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. for an informative open house. Prospective students and their families are invited to tour the recent upgraded faculty building and exercise facility, as well as have the chance to ask questions to current students. You can register for this event at the queensu.ca Fall Preview Open House webpage. On Thursday, October 13th, head down to the Agnes Etherington Art Centre to participate in an innately therapeutic art-making session. People 16-plus are welcome to drop in from 4 to 6 p.m. free of cost, and registration details can be found at agnes.queensu.ca. The Queen's University International Centre is hosting a workshop on Friday, October 14th for international students and new graduates. Quick's International Student Advisor will cover important topics such as how to get a social insurance number, work permits and more. The event will be held online via Zoom from 10.30am to 12pm. To register, visit the Quick website. 
And on Friday, October 14th, joined Dean Mark Walters, Faculty of Law, and Dean Wanda Koston of the Smith School of Business to welcome Canadian business leader Wes Hall for a special fireside chat moderated by Nigel Masenda of the Law Class of 2021. Wes Hall, also known as the King of Bay Street, has over 20 years of experience in corporate governance and shareholder communications. He's best known for his role as a dragon or investor on CBC's Dragon's Den. The fireside chat will take place from 3.30 to 5 o'clock in Goods Hall. And now it's time for your sports update. And now it's time for the CFRC Sports Desk. Alex LaRue is away today. To start things off, later this evening, there is a women's soccer game at 4 o'clock as well as a men's soccer game at 6.15. Both teams will be facing the RMC Paladins. Later this evening, there will be a Gales women's field hockey game from U of T at 7 p.m. Continuing on to tomorrow, there will be a women's lacrosse game against Trent Excalibur at 7 o'clock. Friday, we'll have cross-country events at the McMaster Bayfront Open with our male runners starting at 12.45 and the women's matches starting at 1.30. In the same afternoon, the men's baseball team will be taking on the Guelph Griffins in the OUA playoffs. And later in the evening, there will be a men's hockey team game opener against the UQTR Patriots, a women's basketball game against Laval Rouge ETR and a women's volleyball game against the UBC Thunderbirds. On Saturday, the women's soccer team are taking on Trent and the men's football team are against the McGill Marauders at 3 p.m. at Richardson Stadium. Tune in to CFRC Live to stay up to date with the coverage. Men's rugby team will also play on Saturday in a match against the Guelph Griffins and the men's hockey team will be facing UQTR Patriots once again. And lastly, on Sunday, there will be women's varsity sports with a basketball game at 10 o'clock against the Calgary Dinos, fast pitch at 11 a.m and 1 p.m. against TMU, a lacrosse game at 11.45 against Wilfrid Loyer, and again at 3.15 against McMaster, also a field hockey game at 1 o'clock against Guelph, and a volleyball game against Trinity Western University. And that's it for the CFRC Sports Desk today, and now over to Chris and Chancellor. This is Chris, and I'm coming in with an interview with Kate Allen of Modern Fuel, and we're going to talk about their upcoming 45th anniversary. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm the executive director at Modern Fuel, and we're so excited to be celebrating our 45th anniversary this year. Awesome. And for those who don't know Modern Fuel, what do you guys do there? So we're an artist-run center. We're located on the top floor of the Tet Center, um, and we have three gallery spaces. We have a new media workspace, and we offer a wide range of cultural programming for the community, and we provide paid opportunities for um, artists locally and nationally um, to present their work, lead workshops, and yeah, just a wide range of opportunities for artists. Awesome. And it's your 45th anniversary. So that's 45 years of accessible art and spaces for artists. So what does that mean for you guys? Yeah, it's a really amazing um, accomplishment. We we were founded back in the late 70s, and it's just been really great to see the organization grow and evolve over the past 45 years. Um, it, it means that we're able to just really continue providing free accessible programming for our community here in Kingston. Um, and and providing paid opportunities for artists, which is really essential to our mandate, ensuring that artists are paid a fair wage for their work. Um, and just being able to be an entry point into contemporary art for the community. 
Totally. Yeah. And last time we were on our airwaves was the summer and you guys were already gearing up for anniversary celebrations. And I remember one project you guys were working on was going through your archives. Yeah. So we got a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts to digitize our archives. So um, we have been 15 through 45 years worth of really amazing um, material, artwork, uh, exhibitions, workshops, et cetera. Um, and, and we're digitizing that material and we're working on developing um, a special archival website where all of that content will live so that people in the public can look through it and um, just kind of enjoy all of this work from throughout our history. That's sick. Yeah. And then what's the actual date of your anniversary? So we were officially incorporated as the Kingston Artists Association on October 12th of 1977. Okay. So coming up real soon. Yeah. Yeah. And what other events do you guys have going on for it? So um, right now we, thanks to the Ontario Arts Council, we're um, kind of presenting a wide variety of archival exhibitions. So we have had a couple of things up in the downtown community throughout the summer and into the fall. Um, these were kind of exhibitions in storefront windows of material from our archives. So we had one up at Novel Idea. There's one up right now at the Grand Theater. Um, we've partnered with Terra Natural Foods and Camera Kingston um, just to kind of be presenting a bunch of archival materials out in the community. And then we're also planning to do a film screening of archival art films that we've um, shown throughout our history. And then we'll also be building a virtual exhibition of archival materials as well. And where can people keep up with all things Modern Fuel, including your anniversary events? Yeah, so uh, you can sign up for a newsletter on our website. Um, that's where you get like kind of first access to everything going on. Our social media is great. It's just Modern Fuel ARC, Artist Run Center. Um, you can keep up to date on there. Um, and just generally on our website, we have all, all the information about the things that are going on. And that's where you can find all those details about our anniversary celebration that's coming up and our, our anniversary fundraiser. Awesome. Yeah. And I was just going to quickly ask the actual celebration that you guys are having. Is that on October 20th? Yes, it's October 20th. It's going to be at 7 p.m. Um, it'll be in the Tet Center, but it's actually going to take place in the Malting Tower. So the top, the beautiful room at the end of the hall on the top floor. Um, and so we're going to have live jazz with um, local artist Savannah Shea and her quartet, which will be amazing. Um, we have a few local businesses have um, are supporting us out in offering a couple great things for a silent auction. We'll have a 50-50 draw. And that event is actually being sponsored by Daft Brewing. Um, they'll be providing us with a couple kegs of beer for the event and Rose Hall Run Vineyards. So they'll be uh, supplying all of the wine for the event. And there'll be lots of non-alcoholic options as well, um, as well as some hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. So the event is free. It's open to everybody. We really just want to celebrate this um, really special milestone with our community and just kind of look back at all of the really great things that have happened over the past 45 years and and see where um, we're headed for the next 45 plus years. So awesome. Congrats on 45 years almost. That's awesome. I know we're kind of in the same boat. We're celebrating our 100th anniversary here at CFRC. So it's amazing. Lots of exciting stuff this week. Yeah. I was just going to add also that we are doing a 45th anniversary fundraising campaign. So our goal is to try to raise $4,500 by the end of the year in honor of our celebration. Um, and 
people can donate to that fundraiser um, on our website, um, or you can click the link in our um, bio on our Instagram. Um, and all of the funds that we generate through that are just going to go back into ensuring that we can continue to provide all of this wonderful programming uh, moving forward into the future. So every every donation makes a really huge difference. And we just really, really appreciate all contributions. Fantastic. Okay, so folks can be sure to donate and um, yeah, attend all of your 45th anniversary celebrations. And that was all the questions I had for you today. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, Chris. Great to talk with you. All right. So next up, I'm going to throw it to Dinah with the weather. Thanks so much. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report. Tonight, we're expecting mainly cloudy skies with 40% chance of showers beginning before morning and a risk of thunderstorm overnight. Winds south at 30 kilometers an hour, gusting to 50 and a low of 12. On Thursday, we're expecting showers with a risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 16. At night, cloudy with 40% chance of showers and a low of 8. Friday, October 14th, we'll see a mix of sun and cloud with 40% chance of showers and a high of 14. Friday, night cloudy periods with a low plus five on saturday there will be a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 12 and cloudy periods with 30 percent chance of showers and a low of six that evening and the outlook for sunday is cloudy with a 40 percent chance of showers and a high of 11 and at night cloudy with 40 percent chance of showers and a low of six that's it for the cfrc weather report i'm now turning it over to alexandra fernandez with the city of kingston traffic report Thank you so much. I'm Alex and I'm here with your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston. Garrett Street will be closed from Division to University until October 16th, which is this coming Sunday. King Street from Place d'Arms to the Tragically Hip Way will be closed October 12th. Lower Brewer's Swing Bridge will be closed until further notice. Stephen Street from Montreal to Patrick will be closed until October 31st, as well as Stephen Street from Patrick to Cowdy. University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until January 21st, 2023. And Wright Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until January 31st, 2023 as well. The following streets are closed from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. on weekdays until June 29th. McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. Third crossing road work is still going on on Highway 15 at Gore. Paving is scheduled for this week. The east portion of the bridge is scheduled to be paved on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, weather dependent. The surface layer will be paved on Thursday, October 13th on Gore Road from Highway 15 to the bridge. Traffic control staff will be in place and traffic delays can be expected. Access to the Pittsburgh Library will be maintained. Traffic signals at the intersection of Point St. Mark and Gore Road will be operational. And access through the south leg of Point St. Mark at Gore Road remains closed until December 2022. Access to the library parking lot has been moved to the new entrance at Point Street Mark. And access to the Pittsburgh Library will main be maintained at all times in the parking lot. And the cycling and pedestrian signals have been activated to assist cyclists and pedestrians in crossing the road at Gore Road and the Highway 15 intersection. Other delays that you can expect, front road from Sandy Bay Lane to Country Club Drive. You can expect some traffic delays due to a lane reduction to a single lane in each direction. 
Highway 2, 300 meters west of Abidon to 300 meters east of Abidon. You can expect a lane closure until October 28th. Jackson Mills Road near the KNP Trail will be reduced to one lane. Johnson Street from Barry to Clergy, you can expect a lane closure until October 14th. And Sandy Hill Road, city limits to five kilometers west of city limits, you can expect delays until November 16th. That's your weekly traffic report. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we are going to throw it over to Dinah with our events calendar. Thanks so much. Now it's time for the CFRC events calendar brought to you by queensevents.ca. This evening, Juno award-winning artist Alex Cuba will perform at the Grad Club while on campus receiving an honorary doctorate from Queen's University. Maple Blues award winner Colin James will also be at the Grand Theatre this evening. Thursday, October 13th, Canadian hip-hop artists Rini Smith and Classified will perform an all-ages concert at the Spire while British cellist Stephen Isirlis will perform at the Isabel. Don't forget to check out shows on Friday night with Status Non-Status performing at the Broom Factory at 305 Rideau Street, Danny Michelle live at the Mansion, and the Vienna Boys Choir at the Grand Theatre. Ticket information for each of these performances is available at queensevents.ca. In other local events, the new Art for All exhibition and balloted art sale is currently underway at the Isabel's Art and Media Lab this week, open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. until Saturday, October 15th. Running tonight through Saturday, a new play at the Baby Grand called How to Fail as a Pop Star will run. And on Sunday, October 16th, Mini Oktoberfest will happen at the Memorial Center Farmer's Market, including live music, lederhosen, warm pretzels, and a beer garden. This event runs from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. with a beer garden opening at 11. Learn more about tickets from these events at queensevents.ca. And that's a wrap for our events calendar and The Scoop this week. Join us again on Monday at 5 p.m. for Today in YGK for more in local news. And don't forget to subscribe to The Scoop and Today in YGK podcasts to get your local news on the go. From all of us on the CFRC News team, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.